All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast today. Uh, fun-filled, exciting episode, but first we're going to stop at the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox. Again, primarycarepod at gmail.com. Uh, feedback, questions, concerns, uh, you hit me up there and I will get you on the uh, on the episode. Uh, today's coming from uh, an anonymous uh, request. Uh, so the question is, Dr. List, love the podcast. You seem to be up to date on a lot of different things. Uh, what types of recommendations do you tell your patients to help them lose weight? Ah, that is a great, great question, anonymous. Uh, now, you'll have to get a piece of paper and a pen out because I've got some very, very big evidence-based tips. Um, I have had nearly 100% success rate at getting all of my obese patients down to their goal weights, 100%. Uh, I, I, you know, People struggle in this country losing weight. I, I've never had a hard time getting my patients to lose weight, so <clears throat> I'm about to unleash all of my secrets. Now, it's a very, very detailed process. It's a 13-step program, so get out a pen and a paper. And uh, here we go. So uh, the first thing that we have to do is the primary care podcast is written by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. 15 minutes long because I have no idea what I'm doing on today's topic. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, we're talking about colorectal cancer screening chaos. And in fact, uh, we're going to broaden it out a little bit because do you ever feel like when we talk about evidence-based medicine that getting the right answers to our patients' medical questions seems like basically impossible to do? And I think the answer is, yeah, it's pretty much impossible. Evidence-based medicine will always be our best solution or our best hope at getting the answer right and doing it in a way that's not just waving our hands magically and saying, take this magical pill because you're going to get better, but it has some actual science to support what we do. But I feel like my biggest struggle, despite mountains of evidence, despite all of the major medical societies putting forth their own opinions, is what to do with cancer screenings. Now, when I came out of residency, cancer screenings were like, you know, the easiest thing, right? Uh, what you were taught and what your attendings did was like written in stone and you know we're just going to follow this guideline and everything's going to be fine but when you actually look at the data and you look at the different medical societies it 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 hurts my brain to think about what i should actually be doing now i think a really easy way is to just stop pause and say it's kind of a little disingenuous if you believe in evidence-based medicine but okay i'm going to ignore everything that everybody says and i'm just going to follow specific uh, society X, Y, or Z. I, I'm not going to look at anything else. Um, and I'm whatever they blindly tell me, that's what I'm going to do. And you know what? As I, I called it disingenuous, but at the same time, it's easy. And it's not wrong. And when we talk about what's best for our patients, oftentimes it's treating them to the standard of care. So before we discuss all these things, I think that's an important, uh, that's an important framework to discuss is that it's impossible for a primary care practitioner, even one like me who's obsessed about trying to, to read all these studies and to, to know the best evidence, it's impossible for us to get it right every time. But, you know, I'd like to have a discussion with my patients about what's the least wrong thing to do, right? What's the least wrong thing? Uh, what's going to give my patients the best quality of life, the longest quality of life with the least interventions possible? And again, I've, I, I, as I've harped on this podcast at least, uh, you know, 
15 times, it's uh, nihilistic medicine is oftentimes really good, if not the best medicine. Uh, but let's talk about cancer screenings. Um, I just talked about, I just had three minutes of this podcast where I literally rambled on my soapbox without actually giving you anything. So we're going to, we're going to condense this again. Um, let's look at, for example, breast cancer screening. Breast cancer screening uh, has, is incredibly controversial. And yet every major society has guidelines that they recommend. Uh, the CDC has a really good recommendation or has a really good table with literally all of the different, uh, task force, right? So USPFTF, ACS, the OBGYN, the ACOG, uh, the um, International Agency for Research on Cancer, the American College of Radiology, the American College of Physicians, the AAFP, all of them have very different screening recommendations for breast cancer. Looking at the same evidence, uh, none of these groups, well, very few of these groups, they, 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 they mesh. Do they, do they, do they, uh, you know, they, they, it looks like they're looking at different recommendations, different, different pieces of evidence. For example, the American College of Radiology says women age 40 to 49 with average risk screening with mammography annually. Women age 50 to 74 with average risk screen with mammography annually. Women 75 or older with average risk Screening with mammography should stop only when life expectancy is less than five years. And women with desperance, in addition to mammography, ultrasound can be considered. Okay? Look at the difference between AFP. 40 to 49, uh, really individual decision, right? Uh, that's it. 50 to 74, probably every two years, right? That's what they recommend. 75, insufficient evidence of, of doing mammography, uh, pro or con, after 75, and then insufficient evidence to recommend anything different compared to dense breast when using alternative screenings such as ultrasound, MRI, DBT, and other methods, right? So just two different groups looking at the same data. And then, of course, we look at USPF data. It kind of fits a little bit more with like AFP with a little bit stronger wording, a little bit more details. And, and, and that's just breast cancer. Same same evidence. We look at prostate cancer screening. Similar questions, right? USPFTF went from recommending against prostate cancer in 2012 to giving it a C recommendation. And why? Uh, because uh, the focus should be more on shared patient decision-making because, you know, there was evidence that came out in the meantime, which changed that recommendation. The American Urology Association states age 55 to 69 is the best age range for testing and probably to do a PSA every two years. The United Kingdom doesn't recommend any routine screening, and Canada has an internally conflicting groups, right? One group saying 55 to 69, another saying start at 50 and only go until there's a 60, uh, sorry, a less than 10-year life expectancy. And, and none of those groups, by the way, uh, recommend using digital rectal exam as a screening tool based on lack of evidence. Hint, that's a podcast idea in the future. If I ever get around to it, that's a big, big, big pet peeve of mine. Um, yeah, so no digital rectal exams. So, right, that's just breast cancer and prostate cancer. Incredibly different. You look at a guideline, and then you look at a second guideline, and it's completely different. So what are we supposed to do with our patients? What do we do as somebody who reads the evidence? And, and here's the one that really is in the last year has really made me just lose my brain, right? Get very, very frustrated with this because the cancer screening that I've thought has always been steady since I've you know, been in med school and residency has been colon cancer, right? Start age 50, go to 79, or when your life expectancy is less than you know 10 years, maybe that's 75, whatever. And then you can start 10 years before the first degree relative diagnosis of colon cancer, right? But if you haven't heard the news, that 
that that start at 50 is under scrutiny. Now, most of us have heard, you know, last year in 2018, there was a big giant study that said, or there's a there's a guideline, a recommendation from the American Cancer Society, sorry, not a big study, just a recommendation from the American Cancer Society that said, maybe start at 45. And we're going to talk about that today. And then there was another group just recently in the last six months, and again, we'll get to this today, from BMJ, British Medical Journal, that says, no, don't start early, don't start at 45, don't start at 50. In fact, for most average risk people, you might not need colonoscopies, right? Maybe we start at 55 or later, depends on their risk. Uh, so this is just completely, completely, completely mind-blowing to me as somebody who is trying to follow recommendations and the best practice, that we could be completely just bananas in both directions going in directions. So, okay, um, first let's look at the, uh, the difference, right? So this is 2018. This is called colorectal cancer screening for average risks, uh, a guideline update from the American Cancer Society, right? Um, that's the first study we're going to look at. Second study is from the BMJ in 2019. Colorectal cancer screening with fecal immunochemical testing, sigmoidoscopy or colonoscopy, a clinical practice guideline. Okay, so two different studies there. If you want to look them up, you can look them up, but I'm going to read through them right now. Um, so uh, right now, right, so the in 2018, American Cancer Society recommended that colon cancer screenings start at age 45 period. That they, they recommend starting at 45. The recommendation was based in large part because we're having an increasing number of people that are getting diagnosed with colon cancer before the age of 50. And this, these are real stats. It's a 22% increase in the last a couple of decades. So a relative risk of 22% uh, in the last two decades of an increased risk in your 45 to 50 age window. Actually, I think it goes from 40 to 50 if I remember right. But anyways, so yeah, we're seeing, seeing increased rates of cancer. Um, I think it's important to realize, though, that when we're looking at this ACS guideline, that we're looking at this 22% increased cancer risk is factually correct, but it's a relative risk increase, right? So what's the absolute risk increase, right? It goes from 5.9 to 7.2 out of 100,000. So an absolute risk increase of only 1.3%, okay? So I think that's a that's a really, really big important thing to think. 22% seems like big between the age of 45 and 50 of an increase compared to what we used to see, but it's only a very, very small number of actual people. We also don't know, there's never been a single randomized control trial if we move up our cancer screens to 45, that it's going to save lives. You know, Instead, the ACS, based on this recommendation, uses a computer model that predicts that lives will be saved based on what we know about our current colon cancer screening. We assume that just changing the colon cancer screening protocols down five years won't suddenly lose the effectiveness of our colon cancer screening guidelines. And so they're using that based on the new numbers. Uh, but again, we don't, that, that's unproven, completely unproven. It's never been, been factually correct at this point. This is all theoretical based on computer modeling. Now, there's also the thing called lead time bias, right? So if more people are being diagnosed with colon cancer before the age of 50, then you'd expect to see more people dying of cancer at younger ages too. But instead, death rates haven't changed a single bit despite that 22% increased risk or increased diagnosis of colon cancer between the ages of 45 and 50. No increased death rates, okay? Um, it, you know, it we're, means we're finding cancers that we would have found later in time, right? So we don't need to screen earlier because we would have just found them later. Or even if we'd waited to start screening until age 50 to start screening, we'd still catch these, right? So the picture of lead time, this potential lead time bias, uh, we should see an increase in cancer diagnoses 
and we should also see an increased risk of cancer deaths. And in, se- and in, fact, in fact, the cancer deaths are a flat line, right? There's no change compared to that 1.3% absolute ri- risk increase, right? So I, I think that, that looking at starting earlier based on ACS, I think it's garbage. I, I think that, um, in fact, this is, this is my personal statement. This does not reflect the opinions of the animal medical group um, or any of my past, future, or current employers or, or uh, uh, my attendings in residency who trained me or my med school uh, attendings. I think the American Cancer Society is absolute trash when it comes to their recommendations. Their goal is to catch as many cancers as possible and to save as many cancer lives as possible, but they don't care about costs. They don't care about evidence. They don't care about the details. They care about finding cancers and curing cancers, and they don't consider all the other outcomes. And I think that this is an evidence of this computer model without any evidence, without any support, basically throwing this out here because of the small relative risk increase without, you know, considering a lot of other factors. So um, I I don't like the American Cancer Society, period, when it comes to recommendations for that kind of stuff. All right. So what about the other study, right? So the British Medical Journal, this was uh, just recently, I don't remember exactly when, uh, not terribly long ago, pause here for a second. Okay, October 2nd, uh, 2019, British Medical Journal. Uh, Basically, a panel of experts recommended against routine testing of everyone aged 50 to 79 for colon cancer. Uh, However, advising that only those at higher risk should be considered. So what the, the nuts and bolts of this article is, without getting into too much of the statistics, is that we should not be screening everybody at 50 to 79 because we should be waiting until your risk of colon cancer is higher than 3% or more in the next 15 years, okay? So because then it tilts the balance of the benefits of colon cancer screening above the harms of colon cancer screening and the frequent follow-ups and all the unnecessary false positives and all the other uh, increased costs associated with colon cancer screening. Now, this evidence was given a weak recommendation. Why? Because we do not have robust data to support it. But we do know that in many other guidelines, we are starting to switch to a more personalized risk and percentile-based approach. This gets into the ACC, uh, AHA calculator for cholesterol and when to start statins. Um, But basically, what we're trying to hope for is that we stop over-testing and we start more targeting approaches to people who are at risk. So how do we, where do you find this calculator? How could you look at this calculator? You're in luck because Dr. List is here to tell you. It's called qcancer.org. Uh, I don't own any stock in this. I don't, they're not paying me to say this, but this was the, this was the calculator that they used in this study. And basically it's qcancer.org slash 15 year slash colorectal slash index.php, haha, or just Google qcancer and colon cancer. Uh, and it gives you this 15 year calculator. It's the only one out there that I can find. Um, and it's based in a UK based population. So again, caveat, if you're in a non-Caucasian or non uh, you know, uh, white population, uh, you may not, this may not be a great uh, study. Although the United Kingdom does have, uh, you know, a fair number of Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, uh, black, uh, you know, Chinese pi- patients as well. And you can select that on your ethnic- ethnicity when you're trying to screen. So let me just throw in a, a random person here. So if we do a 50-year-old male, uh, no non-smoker, non-alcohol drinker, with no personal history of cancer and no family history of gastrointestinal cancer, no diabetes, no ulcerative colitis, no colonic polyps, and with normal BMI, their risk of developing cancer in the next 15 years for colon cancer is 1.1%. So again, 
This is somebody who, no family history, no personal history, not a smoker, not a drinker, not obese, non-diabetic, no ulcerative colitis, no colonic polyps. Those are the types of things that we need to look for when we're looking at who's at risk or not at risk. Now, there, I'm not going to run through this whole calculator, but basically that same 50-year-old male, uh, let's make him a heavy smoker, let's make him a heavy drinker, uh, and let's uh, give him uh, type 2 diabetes, right? Uh, even then, at age 50, even a heavy smoker, heavy drinker with type 2 diabetes, your col- personal colon cancer risk is only 2.4%. So I think that that illustrates just how overblown I think some of these um, uh, risk uh, or, or how how much over-testing we can potentially do with colon cancer screening. Um, because we know that there are people who are, people who are certainly at risk. For example, so let's go back to that same 1.1% risk male, non-smoker, non-drinker, non-diabetes, but let's give them a family history of colon cancer, right? Uh, family history of colon cancer, gastrointestinal cancer, only puts you at a 1.8% risk, right? So you really have to be careful using this calculator about even in your high-risk people who have a family history of gastrointestinal cancer that you know, you may be even under screening with this tool. Now, again, this as this is this algorithm has been vetted based on population data, but this is the only guideline that uses it. So I am not ready to switch off of my USPFTF start at age 50 and go till age 75 question age 79 type of uh, platform. But oh, Lordy, I am thinking about going to this more risk based testing. You know, I think Having a discussion with a woman with their, her personal breast risk, her personal breast cancer risk, uh, giving her a percentage compared to the average woman, I think is really helpful to have that discussion about when they should or should not get mammography started or early or not started earlier in the 40s or in the 50s. I think that's a really helpful tool. I think that this is a really helpful tool for colon cancer. Um, I am, oh, looking at the time, I am three minutes over. Uh, what my goal is of 15 minutes. So everybody gets their money back today. I apologize. Oh man, refunds for everybody. Um, but I think uh, I, I say go forth family practitioners. I have no idea what I'm doing with colon cancer screening. I think it's okay to just pick what USPFTF does and just say that the default. But I think having these discussions with patients about where the data comes from, what the groups are saying, what the evidence says, and maybe what some options are for cancer screening, uh, knowing that basically we're doing shared patient decision-making with these patients. Some are more want to be more aggressive, some want to be less aggressive, but using data to justify our decisions, I think is always important that you come prepared to the conversation and then be open and honest with your patients as much as possible and go forth knowing that I don't think anybody knows what the hell they are doing when it comes to colon cancer screening, let alone prostate cancer screening or breast cancer screening. So just do the least worst thing. Uh, and that's my, that's my pitch for the day. So how'd we do today? Enjoy what you're listening to? Any suggestions on topics for the podcast or recommendations of articles, please send them to me at primarycarepod at gmail.com. That's all one word, primarycarepod at gmail.com. We'll also take any comments, questions, or concerns about the episode. If you want me to read your comment or question on the next episode, I can certainly throw them in. Please include whether you want to that comment or question to be anonymous or credited with your name. Please check the episode details for links free CME. And so we'll wrap up another episode saying thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. This has been Dr. Mark List reminding you you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thanks and have a great day.